Thank you so much, Mark. That was wonderful and traumatic. Um, okay, so I, I, I was a little bit put out when I realized that I wouldn't have this video to kick us off with until I realized that it was probably a supreme kindness of God. Let me tell you why. The video clip has um, Sandra Bullock in, and um, this has been a small issue in my marriage because Sheldon really fancies her. <laughs> And so I think that God in his kindness thought it better that I not get up feeling like I'm comparing myself to my husband's girlfriend. Um, so yeah, I will not be acting out the scene. <laughs> but um, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it. And really, what I was going to launch off from that was just that we are designed to need people around us. We need people around us. We need people who are there to encourage us, to breathe wind in our sails. And um, the word encourage actually means to inspire courage. And um, so that's what she was going to do. I just did it better. Hey. Yeah. Shall? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So typically we, we find in society that there are groups, people who've gathered together around an interest. Um, it could be running or surfing or whatever the case may be. But as people assemble in, in, in groups, they sometimes take on their own language, you know, their own way of dressing. They have these kind of jokes and lingos, and sometimes they start to think the same and eat the same and, and all of those things. I think we see it most clearly with the teens, because um, you will literally see like seven little girls trotting down the road, like looking identical, just maybe differentiation of colors, and then you see at the moment all the boys with their nice long trendy socks, and a few years back, remember they all like to show just the top of their bottoms? Remember that one? Yeah. And they were called the Hebrews, apparently. But it's like these, these you know, we, we get into a group and suddenly we start to look and think and, and smell and everything the same. And um, these groups of people actually influence us. And um, in this series, we're going to be looking at courageous communities specifically courageous communities, because we really and truly believe that this is what people need and crave and desire and long for, and yet, sadly, I think are so seldom actually in. So um, I'd like to just start by praying, and if I'm, I'm going to actually be totally honest before I even pray. I have very rarely felt this getting up to preach before, but I felt like this is quite something to share, so I'm being vulnerable here. But I felt quite strongly that there was such a resistance to this message today. So if you don't mind, I'm going to pray, and um, we're just going to ask God to really open our hearts, because I think it's a very important message. Father, I just thank you that in your absolute love and grace and wisdom, you, you made many of us, and you made us to be together in groups, and community is so important to you, God. And you had very clear ideas on what community needs to do. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that in this moment, you would allow each of us to just be so open to what it is that you are wanting to do in our lives. Father, if there's any resistance in any of us that is not of you, I ask that you would just let that fall away. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, okay. So courage. Courage is really the ability to do something that frightens one. It's bravery. Um, sometimes I think there's been a misconception that courage means that there's success that goes with it. It's not at all the case. It's just stepping into something that's not comfortable, regardless of what the outcome is. And then it's being able to get back up and do it again. Um, we, know, we know about um, 
people who've done incredible things, and the reality is, as Mark said, very, very seldom do people do profound, incredible, life-changing, society-changing things without a band of people around them. And um, we all know about Neil Armstrong. Who knows about the two other guys who got onto the moon? Names, names? Come on. Oh my gosh, okay. Buzz Aldrin and Michael. Mr. General Knowledge, thank you. Okay, and Michael Collins. And further to that, there were over 400,000 other people working on, on teams back at NASA who made that happen. But the reality is that when people do something that is just beyond ordinary um, or frightening, uh, whatever that is, there are people around them encouraging them and, and putting wind in their sails. Um, as Mark mentioned, the band of brothers, um, it's, just, it's just these people who go, we're in this together, and we're going to be okay, and we're going to push each other forward. So on that note, I'd like to just take a moment to invite Kirst Talbot up. Come along. <laughs> um, please give her a hand as she comes up. <laughs> Kirst, um, Mark, can I have that mic, please? Kirst, um, the reason I'm bringing her up is because Kirst has got something quite exciting going on in her life. She's written an amazing book called Made to Be Me. Can you tell us how it started, Kirst? <laughs> um, so um, about a year ago or a year and a half ago, I was doing a trial or working a bit at Bloom School. And um, yeah, I just was so inspired by the kids there. And writing a children's book has always been a dream of mine. But yeah, those kids, like just being there for that short amount of time just really ignited this dream in my heart. And um, I just, yeah, I was so inspired to write this book about how every child is unique and um, has a divine purpose and how we don't need to compare ourselves to each other, but we each unique and beautiful the way we are. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> awesome. So, Kirst, um, I was going to ask you, but I think you've answered it. The, the desire of this book is really that kids and parents and teachers as I read it would just, just really appreciate that they're made exactly the way they're meant to be. And um, that's what you want to happen in people's hearts. When is it going to hit bookshelves? Um, oh, well, I'm <laughs> double marking again. Do you see how I do that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm so greedy. I, don't, I only need one mic. Sorry. Okay, so, um, <laughs> so it's an e-book and an audio book. So we've just finished um, recording the audio book. So that's being compiled. Um, so as soon as that's finished, mm -hmm. it'll be ready for people to buy. And yeah, also praying that we could publish hard copies as well. So God, make that happen. <laughs> okay. Come back here. Okay. <laughs> Mark, if you needed it here. Okay. Um, what I loved in, in just chatting briefly to Kirst about this is that there was a dream, and so many of us have dreams, but never take steps in the dream. And it was being around a courageous community at Bloom, these ladies who've made a space for kids with such difficulties to come and be nurtured and to become all that they were meant to be. And this really is what activated you in, into writing it. And so if you don't mind, I just want us to blow wind into Kirst's sails for a moment. So just if you are comfortable, stretch out your hand and we're just going to pray. Father, thank you for Kirst. Thank you for this dream that you placed inside of her. Um, thank you for activating her doing this through a, one group of courageous ladies. And Father, we know that Kirst's heart is that kids and parents and teachers alike would be really 
touched and moved by this book and learned to celebrate each and every child in our midst. And Father, we just ask for your favor over this. We ask that there would be hard copies be able to be printed, and that this little book would touch and change lives, that there would be an eternal impact of this book. And thank you for Kirst's obedience to do what you've put inside of her. Bless her. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Very exciting. I think we all have those dreams, and, um, and we just need people around us sometimes to just activate us and to tip us into that final thing of going, I'm, I'm going to do this now. Um, so when we've read into this series, we've, we've just seen that um, it really does take a group to get amazing um, things to happen. And, and big things, small things, sometimes it's just the bravery to flash your speeder off the stage. But we do these things in a group with people. I don't think that you will ever do something scary and wild and countercultural without a band of people around you. It was God's idea so that we could learn to work together, to share the credit, to love one each other more, because um, as, we, as we're going through these kind of challenges, we rub up against each other and we have different ideas and different ways of getting to a solution. And all these things are opportunity, opportunities to grow in love too. And for today, um, I really wanted to put it to you that we, we're on a journey, we're on a faith journey. If you're in this room, regardless of where you're at in, in your faith journey, Something has called you here today, and I just want to propose to you that we can all accept we're in a boat. We're in a, we're in a boat that is taking us somewhere. And the reason I'm talking about a boat today is because that's the Bible story we're going to jump into in a moment. But our boats can be taking us steadily towards the direction we want to go or not. And we want to make sure this year that, yes, we're all in this boat, but in this boat, it's like a very big boat, and we don't all really get to get into each other's lives and, and unpack stuff. And we really want to be unapologetically pushing everybody in this church this year to get into a smaller group, into a community where people are going to get into your face and you're going to get into people's faces and you're going to find out what those dreams are and be a part of activating, of, of unlocking those keys to freedom, of unlocking what it is and allowing your stuff to be unlocked. But we really and truly believe that this is a year where we are going to step into courageous community. And um, it's going to look different for everybody. Not everybody's going to be a Martin Luther King. Not everybody's going to be a, a Neil Armstrong. You might, it might be that you were just destined to pray for one little old lady on the side of the road. It doesn't matter. But we don't want to allow anyone anymore to not take those steps of courage and to have a band of brothers and sisters around them. So we're all in a boat. Now, the reality is, some of us, hands up if you've been in a life group, home group, home cell, whatever, Stick up your hands. They call them different things in different churches. We call them life groups in this church. And I just want you to know on that note, it's not because you sign up for life, okay? That can be scary. It's like a life group. It's like, no, it's not a lifetime commitment. It's just a group where we believe that life can, can happen more abundantly. So um, we, I, I totally appreciate that you get great groups and you get not so great groups. And I've been in both. I've led both. Um, hands up if you've been in a fantastic life group that's just like got you going on your face journey. Okay, great. And, and hands up if you've been in one that sucked the laugh out of you. Oh, they're all in my group. No, <laughs> not quite, almost. Okay, um, but we have these experiences. And um, the reality is I think that there are two main things that can can cause this little boat to just be not going where it's meant to be going or actually to be sinking. Um, we, we, we want to, in the series, get us to a place where we're having these groups 
that will cause such life to burst out of us and such madness that people would look at us and go, these people are utterly, completely bonkers. Because that's really how the Acts Church would have been described. And really, a life group is kind of what the little the church in the beginning looked like. It was just fired up groups of people meeting in homes. And you know, so often you hear Christian talk, it's like, we want a revival. You know what? Those guys were meeting every day of the week, okay? They, they were like, we really want to, we're there. And so I'm not, I'm not saying for a moment that we need to be doing life group every night of the week, but I'm really hoping that there will be enough stirred in you through the series to go like two hours a week something, for something that could put me in a boat that takes me closer to my king and more looking like Jesus. That is a very, very, very small commitment. Okay, so two things that could have made life groups suck for you. And I'm really sad because I also had a classic video here. But anyway, sometimes you might have been in a group that just had one too many needy people. Okay, I know we all snigger. I did hear Ross say, and this is unkind, if you don't know who the needy one is, it's probably you. <laughs> okay, but um, <laughs> you know what? We all go to a group with needs. I'm not criticizing that, and I believe we should always be honest about our needs. But sadly, what's happened, and I think we've even recognized as a group of leaders across all three sites that, you know, when Olive Tree first started kind of going, we were like, groups got together to do stuff. They were going to change things and like wipe dark out of with light and just like do crazy things. And somehow over the last three or four years, it's just been different. And, and you know what? It is what it is. And we don't think it's a bad thing. But it has been definitely more of a thing of like, we go to life because we want to learn. We want to you know, be in, in stronger relationship, talk through some hard stuff. And that's awesome. And we must continue to do that. But what's going to shift is that we're meeting to be encouraged. We're meeting. We come with our problems. But we're not going, we're going to sit here and sink in our boat with our problems. We're here because we expect one another to speak into that thing and to hear it and not, to not have a big song and dance and, and, and sad story. So anyway, the video that I had, please Google it when you get home, it's called Shallow Life Groups. It's hysterical. And I think that this guy would have designed shallow life groups in reaction to all of these extra needs required kind of people who, who can be in life groups. Now, remember I said it's not just, it's not one, it's like when you've been in a group where there are, there's like a real, there's a, more than one <laughs> of people just like, you know, kind of bring in the same issues and also unprepared to hear what you want to say to bring them out of it. Okay. Um, we, we years ago had a, a life group that was filled with incredible people and, and this one girl who just had so much potential, but she was so utterly negative. And so we had this little boat and it felt like we were rowing and rowing and trying to get somewhere, but we just couldn't go because of the ongoing negativity and pessimism and just every solution we offered was met with a reason why I couldn't. And we had tried numerous things to, you know, we were trying to, you've got this whole boat of people, you can't let it just go on the wrong path because of one, you know. And so we had a, another couple who were kind of leading the group with us because we were growing and then we were about to take half the group off. And so we discussed it with them and said, how do we go about this? Because a, like, her life is on a really scary trajectory with this negativity. She was like, or with clinical depression. It was really serious. And, um, and how do we help and, and get her out of this without, like, being too hard? We tried numerous things. And so we devised this plan that only the four of us knew about. We, we were banning. We banned. We made a group rule. Nobody is allowed to say a single negative thing for the next four weeks. 
I know it's quite radical, but anyway, we were like, only positive things, only solutions, we just, we, we ju we're just doing that. And, and we didn't say why, it wasn't directed at anyone. Over the next three weeks, we saw a few moments where there was like a guppy moment of like, and then, I can't talk. <laughs> You know, like, because, but it was amazing because this realization dawned that the only contribution that she'd been bringing was negativity, and it was sinking our little boat. Um, on the fourth week, um, it was a tremendous evening. She, you know, shared what had happened in her heart as she'd realized that she just wasn't partnering with any kind of positivity or hope or any kind of faith building um, talk, actually. And um, I, I really believe that she completely changed, and, and we saw life come back into the group. So, that's the one reason that these little communities that we get together, these life groups, would not be courageous communities. They would not be taking us where we need to go. The second reason is really that we would find ourselves in a community um, that isn't courageous because we've allowed too much fear to get in. Groups are really hard when they're stuck in fear because fear actually works in, in such opposition to faith. And so again, I think it's very important that we come to a group and we speak about our fears, but we have to come under the premise that we're going, I expect you all to point me back to faith. I want you to help me with my fear. I'm not going to try and drown you all with my fears. I'm here because I'm engaging in moving forward with courage. So um, we're going to look into this uh, story of Peter walking on the water, and, and here we really see a beautiful story that is with the community that Jesus built. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus was God, right? He did not need a community. In fact, when we look at this crew that he assembled, they were probably downright irritating to him. They probably actually held him back from a lot of what he could have done because they were like really a tough bunch. Um, and yet history tells us that this little community, despite beatings and martyrdom and being thrown in jail and being put in oil and thrown out of temples, still retained the courage to change the world even after Jesus was gone. It's remarkable. And you know, whenever Jesus does something, we have to look up because he's telling us that that's how he wants us to live. And Jesus built this community of courage. So he wants us building communities of courage. So let's look at who he put on this, this boat, or his little boat, his three-year journey with these disciples. Because I think also sometimes, if we're honest, and I've, I promise you I've been there, when we think of gathering together a group, we kind of want the KIF people. Like, they're not special needs required, um, extra needs required people. We want the positive KIF people who are going to bring life and bring a vibe. And, you know, it's like the classic picking the teams for sports teams. We, we're going to bring the best, Right? But Jesus didn't do that. Okay, he brought Peter, who was impulsive, he brought Thomas, the doubter, you know that, the irrit, who just questions every single thing and doubts everything that everybody says. Uh, Simon, the zealot, so zealots hated tax collectors, and so then he put in Matthew, the tax collector. So there would have been fire between those two. Um, then James and John, the very competitive brothers, just to keep it real, and then Judas, the betrayer. Okay, not an easy bunch of people. It's not who we would handpick for our groups, is it? I don't think so at all. Um, so just to consider this motley crew of people and the fact that they still became a courageous community and went on to change the whole world speaks volumes. Um, it shows that no matter how difficult the bunch of people in the boat is, if Jesus is at the center and we're all on a journey to become more like him, we'll get there. 
it will be okay, and we will take people with us. We'll add others into the boat. So Matthew 14, 22 to 36. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, the crowd that he's with right now, that he's talking about, uh, the crowd, remember where he fed the 5,000 with two loaves and five fish or whatever it was. So he's dismissing that crowd and he sends them immediately to go in the boat. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. I just feel to to add this, um, before the miracle of the 5,000, Jesus was actually on his way to be alone to pray because John the Baptist has just died, had just died. And so I imagine Jesus was grieving. He was needing time alone just to like take stock, pray, reconnect, um, just fill up his tanks. And when he got to this place to refuel and care for himself, there were these hordes of people. And um, it's just remarkable that he ended up still seeing to their needs and and performing this incredible miracle. So now it's after that, he dismisses the crowd, he sends the disciples off on the boat, and he goes up to pray. Later that night, when he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it, shortly before dawn, so probably at three, four in the morning, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, they cried out in fear. I would be terrified. I'm sure you would too. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out and caught his hand and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Okay. The first little thing we're going to just delve into from this passage is this. Why would Peter have said, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you? It's quite a fascinating thing. You're in the boat, you see this ghoulish person that they didn't even really recognize walking on the water in a storm. It's terrifying. And Peter says, if it is you, tell me to come to you. Now, he should have recognized Jesus, but we'll get to that later. Okay. This is what we need to know. Peter was relating to Jesus as his rabbi. And there's a lot of stuff that we today don't understand about what that meant if you were treating somebody as your rabbi. There was this process, and um, I know that Dion is preparing a, a, an actual message on Jesus the rabbi, and I'm sure that he will delve into this in great detail, but just this little snippet you need to know in order to understand this message today. Okay, in, in that time where this story is playing out, little Jewish boys of the age of about six would go to Jewish school, which was like their kindergarten, and it was called Beth Sefer, and they would there be taught the first five books of the Old Testament. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay. Have any of you seen how big that is? Do you know how much it is? I can't remember my car, where my car is when I come out of the junction. And I'm trying to imagine memorizing a six-year-old, memorizing these five books of the Bible. You know, they had from the age of six to 10 to do this. And, um, and then the kids, most of the kids would 
they would go, that's enough. And then they would go and join the family business. But the kids who had done really well there, the kids who had excelled in that, would go on to the next phase, which was called Bet Talmud. So the, the best of that little group. Um, many of you would have heard this um, through Rob Bell and a couple of guys popularized this about 10 years ago, but it's, it's fascinating um, to understand this. So then the six to 10 year olds would either, most of them would go off and join the family trade, but the best of the best of that bunch would stay on and do this next phase called Bet Talmud. And here they would memorize from Joshua all the way to Malachi, the entire Old Testament. Do you guys know how fat that is? They'd memorize it. It's mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. And um, very few students ever made it this far, but um, for the few who did, they would then go on to do this thing called Bet Midrash. Okay, and I'm going to read this part. If you were smart enough and knew scriptures well enough to make it this far, you were given an opportunity to go and approach a rabbi to seek further education. The rabbi would grill you and ask you all kinds of questions because he was trying to find out if you were actually good enough to be a student. He wanted you to know, uh, he wanted to know if you were good and if you knew enough, but more importantly, he wanted to know if you could be like him in all areas of your life. If he decided that he didn't think you could do it, then you would go back to your family business. It was very rare, but if he thought highly enough of you, he would become your teacher and you would become like him in every way. Um, he would, he would, uh, you would agree to take on all of his beliefs and his interpretations of scriptures, which was called his yoke. Remember, Jesus said, my yoke is light. Um, and it was the most prestigious career, not like being a pastor nowadays. People actually wanted to be rabbis. And I'm joking, I think I have the best job in the world. It was just a little joke. Um, okay, and so what's, what's so interesting even is that they would so want to be like the rabbi that it's even recorded that sometimes if the rabbi was like walking with a limp, healthy disciples who had no limp would also walk with a limp because they were trying to be like him in every way. Okay, so if they proved themselves to the rabbi and if he believed that they could be like him in every way, then he would say, Come, come, follow me, okay? And what that meant to them was, I believe that you can be like me and do what I do. It also meant you're the best of the best of the best. So there's this Peter now standing in the boat. It makes all the sense in the world for him to say, Jesus, if it is you, tell me to come to you. Because he believes that if Jesus said, to him, come follow me, that he believes that Peter can do what he does. And so if he's walking on the water, then if it really is his rabbi, Peter should be able to walk on the water with him. So he gave it a whirl. Unfortunately, he started to sink after a little while. Um, and Jesus says, why do you have so little faith? But anyway, then they both climb back into the boat. Now, an interesting question, the second part that I just want to unpack from the story is this. Why didn't anyone else get out of the boat? Why did none of the other disciples climb out? And I think there's really two things here. The first is that they were scared of the storm. The circumstances surrounding them were just too much. The waves were big, they were being pummeled. And the fascinating things about boats, these little, think of, think of our boats now that we're in, these little life groups, but think about real boats, is that they're not actually designed for plane sailing. They're actually designed and built to withstand storms. And the only time they get into trouble 
is when what's meant to be on the outside gets on into the inside. Sometimes we're in this boat together, and some of us will let the fear of what's going on outside Brexit, the crime, the corruption, the war with Iran, uh, WhatsApp groups reporting crime every day. We let that stuff get onto the inside, and that boat can start to sink. What are you going through right now that's getting into you? What fear could be strangling your ability to grow in faith? So they get back into this boat. And remember, this is the, the strange thing about the story. The first line that I read of this part of the story is, immediately Jesus said, get into the boat. I think it's understandable. It's, it's not far-fetched to say that Jesus orchestrated this whole thing. He knew what was coming. He said, get into the boat, and he went off to pray. He sat on that mountaintop, and he knew what was coming, and he didn't go to them immediately. And I think what I take out of this is that he's actually not that interested in our comfort. He doesn't mind us being uncomfortable. He doesn't mind seeing how we respond to fear. He wants, us, he wants to train us to be like him. And that means that he wants to train us to walk on the storms that the enemy has actually sent to sink us. So these guys are afraid of the storm, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. And this is the second thing. Okay, so we're asking now, why did the others not get out of the boat? The first is that the fear was bigger than it should have been for them. They were too afraid of the storm, and they were letting that get into the boat and get into their lives. And fear comes in as a spirit, and it just grows, and it reproduces us, and it strangles our faith. The second thing is that they were afraid of the solution. Okay, I've, I've said this. I would have been freaked out if I saw Jesus coming, walking towards me on the water. And remember that they, they didn't know if it was him. Now, they've been with him a lot. They've been, they've been with him just hours before as he did this spectacular miracle and, and fed all these people. And yet they can't see him because sometimes our fear becomes so big that we can't see that Jesus is our solution. We can't see his face. And that's where we need a community of courage around us to say, it's okay, we get it. We get right now that you can't fix your eyes on him because the storm is raging. But we're here to point you back to him. I think it's such an important line that fear has us sinking in storms that we were meant to walk on. Jesus said, no, the Bible says, because I think it's actually from Timothy, sorry. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. It's okay to have fear. It's okay to be needy. It's okay to have stuff going on that needs input. But the starting point of how we're going to be meeting and gathering and assembling is to point each other back in courage, to point each other back in faith, to go, how do we take one step closer to all that Jesus has put before me? Um... We need people who can say to you, I can't, you can't see him right now, but there he is. He's with you. You might have lost your job, but he will provide. Um, there's a guy in our church, I can't see him right now, but Nick Leach, he's, he's one of these awesome guys. It was actually his birthday yesterday, so you can also hug him. Um, he's around somewhere. But Nick is one of these guys also who, he's really good at that. Like You go to him with a bucket load of fears, and he'll actually just dismantle it all and go like, okay, well, this is your worst case scenario. And it's actually not that bad, you'll still be alive. 
and it could be a pretty horrific thing that he's describing, but he just like settles it and he, he just helps you to go, okay, all right, I've seen how this can play out and it's gonna be okay. We need people like Nick. There's many of you who play that role in this community. We need somebody who, when our kid is struggling with something or in depression or um, just, yeah, our finances are crushing us, um, our marriage is just in an absolute shambles, we need people around us to point us back to where we need to go. We need a group of people around us who can ask us, what thing has God put in front of you that you aren't stepping towards because of fear? Jesus said, he, said, he gave us the solution to all of this. He said, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Okay, hear that again. Take courage. Take it from me. It is I, do not be afraid. That's what he wants all of us to do for one another. I think the greatest indicator of whether we're going to sink in our faith or not is the community that we put ourselves in. And we are so excited to build communities of courage because we saw our rabbi do it. We saw him do this. This was his way of saying, when I'm gone, when I'm not here, I will leave my spirit, but this is how I want you to do it, in communities of courage. When I think of some of the the key and hardest times in my life where I've gone, how is it possible that I'm still loving life and happy and like what, what are the things that have added the most wonderful, great stuff into my life? It's always communities of courage. It's always people around me who at the moment that I'm ready to give up have just said, you can't, you have to keep going. We know, we know you can't see his face right now, but it's there and you keep going. Honestly, these, these people who've gathered around me at key moments are there, first of all, because I've invited them in, but they are godsends, and they have allowed me to take steps forward that I know I wouldn't have been able to. Um, I think for me, and I'm sure for many of you, at, at New Year's, at that time of year where everything's kind of on shutdown and we're in between two years and giving a lot of things a lot of thought, um, I just found myself again, just so frustrated at the kind of cycle that we live in. You know, it's like wake, rush, school, work, pables, just this cycle that has us so swept up in busyness that there seems very little room for anything else. And when we get together and we meet, mostly we talk about this relentless cycle and we'll share little highlights that happen here and then. But I feel for the most part that so often I'm just going, there must be more. It can't be that this is all that we were designed to do. Does anyone else share the sentiment? We just go like, is this really it? <laughs> um, and the other night, one of my kids, I'm not going to say who, you know, because pastors' kids get like traumatized when they hear all the sound clips that were, um, <laughs> of what their parents shared about them in services. But one of my kids the other night was just on the bed and just started crying. I was like, what's going on? Why are you crying? And this kid said, I just feel like we're all living wrong. I was like, what do you mean? No, tears, sobbing. I've just realized that you and dad could die tomorrow and like you would have spent so much time just swept up in this hamster wheel of being busy and school and work and still not even knowing if we have enough for this and that. And it's just, is this how we were meant to live? And I know that there's something deep inside of this kid that is going to see him move in a direction where he, he unlocks that or there's something on this child to do something in that line. But 
why I'm sharing this now is that I don't know that we even take enough time out of the hamster wheel to sit down and talk about what truly matters. I don't think we're intentional enough about it. I don't think we really gather and make space to say, flip, years ago, God actually said this. Or somebody said this and it resonated with my spirit. I don't think we take enough time to do those things. And to be vulnerable and to open ourselves up and, and to share those scary things that we maybe know are in front of us. And like I say, when I'm talking about scary things, I'm not in, it's no comment about the size or how successful it looks. It is so different. You know, the guy who, nobody knows the guy who, who got Billy Graham to know Jesus. Nobody knows his name. <laughs> but he made more of a mark on the world than Billy Graham. It, it's, it's not about what you ever see for it. But I just know that I know that I know that we were meant for something more than I think so many of us are experiencing. And the thing that will tip us over the line of that is communities of courage. We had this rabbi, all of you, regardless of where you're at in your faith journey, are here because you've heard a whisper of a rabbi saying, come follow me. Maybe your distance from us is very far, maybe it's very close, it doesn't matter. You're here, I believe, because there's been a whisper from your rabbi saying, come follow me. And that means that he believes you're the best of the best and that you can do what he did. And he also taught us to build around us a community of faith. And that's what we're going to do. For the first part of this year, we're going to do that. I'm going to ask each and every one of you, if you aren't in a life group, to go and put your name at the back. And over the next couple of weeks, before the 6th of Feb, we will get you plugged in to Community of Courage. And that is what it's going to be. Like I said, bring your needs, bring your fear, but know that they are going to be shaped towards courage. And we are going to see, we are going to be that church that people go, those people are mental. They are crazy. Do you know what they do? <laughs> because that's what the Acts Church was. And that's, that's, I believe, where we will feel completely and utterly alive. Will you just stand with me as we just take a moment to close in prayer? Father, we just stand here today as your kids. We stand here at some point having heard the whisper of this incredible rabbi saying, come follow me. And we really allow it to sink into our hearts that he thinks we are the best of the best and that we can do the things that he did and more. I didn't read the scripture just now, but Jesus said in John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Father, today I ask that you would stir in our hearts to be communities of courage, that you would get us into boats that would take us where we want to go, with a bunch of people who will help us throw out water when it's getting inside, and who would help us to walk on storms that the enemy would have us sink in. Thank you that you've designed these communities for our characters to be shaped, for us to find our purpose, for us to learn how to test your voice, God, for you to unlock things in us and things in others through, through each other, that you've given us these keys, God, to unlock the stuff that is inside of us. Thank you for these communities that would help us to, 
to understand your, your spirit and your spiritual gifts and to step out in them in being brave to exercise these gifts that you've given us. And thank you for the fact that we trust you will get us into communities that will be courageous and take us closer and closer to you and to walking in what you have for us. Father, we want to be a crazy group of faithful people, like the very first churches, undiluted by the things of this world, empowered by your spirit, and encouraged by one another to drive out hell and bring heaven wherever we can see it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.